You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. You know, Mary, uh, the Senate is dealing now with the possibility of making a $2,000 check uh, to working age Americans. Uh, probably not going to happen, but that's in their, uh, in their court right now. But I heard this morning, Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. Uh, Pat is a guy who worries a lot about the uh, deficit and how the, the way that we're spending. I heard him the other day going on saying, you know, I worry about our children and our children's children and the debt that we're leaving them. Now, obviously, he didn't worry about that so much when he voted for the uh, tax cut early in the Trump administration, but he's worried about that. And what he's really worried about right now is we might send some of this money to people Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait for it, who don't really need it. And they're not even working for it. And we might encourage them to stay home and stay lazy all the time and just take take free money. And and he just thinks that's a moral hazard we should not not go through. I I guess my question, is that the bottom at the bottom? of uh, the Republican view that there are a lot of people out there and an awful lot of them are people of color and they are just kind of lazy folk. And if you give them 600 bucks or 2000 bucks, heck, they're going to take the rest of their life off. Do I have it right? (laughs) Yeah, it's like the old welfare queen of the Reagan years. But I think it's right. I think it's it's. If you think that the money that we would give to folks, and this is only folks who um, earned less than $75,000 last year. So it's not like, you know, you or I are going to get a check. And that would be the people probably who don't need it. I'm just guessing. Um, And I'm not going to be judging about that one way or another, but there's a lot of different things to unpack. One of it is if you give $600 or $2,000 to someone who is hardly paying their bills, every dime of that money goes back into the economy. In other words, you give me $2,000 and it goes right into my savings account because I, you know, I don't need it. But you give folks who don't have money, and what are they going to do? Buy groceries, pay off their bills. I mean, one of the things I heard someone say, well, they'll go out and buy a TV. Well, is that really bad for the economy if someone goes out and buys TV or a new gaming system or a new couch? I don't think it is. So that's one thing. The other thing is it's the myth that the Republicans have lived by. And I think believe, I would say this would be like the um, uh, the myth of Ayn Rand. And we've talked about this before that they have told themselves since the Reagan years. And a lot of the co- uh, people who are in power right now were in college, you know, were young people when Reagan was president. And I think they believe trickle-down economics, which has been 
you know, researched and researched and demonstrated not to be true. So they give a big tax cut in, was that 2017 or 2018? Yeah, I think, I think 17. Yeah. I could be wrong. And, you know, the all economists, except the most right-wing economists, have said that really had no benefit to the economy. It benefited the stock market, right? But the stock market is not the economy. And we forget that sometimes. So I think that when Toomey hand rings, when Paul Ryan was always wringing his hands about that, um, they were wringing their hands about a false premise, which is if you give money to rich people, that benefits everyone. If you get money to poor people, it just helps them stay poor. Right. And, you know, part of it is, their moral revulsion to this. First, they somehow believe that the reason they are wealthy people is because they worked really hard. Did any wealthy people work hard? Absolutely. Many of them did. I got to tell you the truth. I do not think the richest person in the Senate right now, Kelly Leffler, who with her husband is worth $800 million. I do not believe that she sweated the way an awful lot of people making twenty and $30,000 did. Call me judgy if you must, but I look at Kelly and I, <laughs> I just am not buying it. I'll tell you another guy uh, who I'm not buying it from, and he was uh, hand-wringing the other day. The second richest senator is a guy by the name of Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. Oh, he and is? Ron, yeah. And he is the second wealthiest. He's nowhere close to uh, Kelly Leffler. You've got to take like the eight richest senators and add them together. And then you come up with Kelly. Remember that someday when you see her in her nice jeans and her little cap looking like regular, regular folk. Uh, But Ron Johnson, he's really worried about it. I'll give you a quick example. This goes back a few years. I was in a conversation writing people there. And the conversation was about health care and whether or not health care was a basic human right. Now, why this is even something people would disagree on, I don't know. But someone else in the conversation said, it is not. You have to earn your health care. You earn your health care by getting a job. Now, someone else in uh, at the conversation posed this whole situation. You mean to tell me if somebody is dying of cancer, you're not going to provide chemotherapy and the care for them. And the person at the center of my story said they should have thought of that before they stayed home and didn't get a job. Now, it was crazy, but I've always kind of thought that goes to the heart of a big part of this worldview. You know what, guy? You should have thought about that when you were goofing around in sophomore year algebra. Because if you hadn't been so lazy, then you'd have a big job now and you'd be wealthy like us and you could get a tax cut. There's something about all that that just turns my stomach. It's so interesting that one thing the pandemic has done or this past year is it's demonstrated the fallacy of those arguments. Because what happened starting last March to a lot of people who were very hardworking and supported themselves. They lost their jobs 
because they were in a sector that was falling apart. It's no fault of their own. Along with that, they lost their health insurance in the middle of a huge medical crisis. And how can you blame them for that? And, you know, it's funny. I, I think I told you I was doing this volunteer work for legal aid. And I had this client and she had worked, you know, she had the same job for 20 years, whatever job it was. She gets laid off from that job and she says to me, you know, I'm a worker. So I decided I need to work. I can't just sit home and get unemployment. And this is when they were getting the other $600 a week. And um, she goes, but that was a lot of money for me. But I thought, no, this isn't right. And she goes back to work, the new place. They're not social distancing. They're not wearing masks. She tells the boss. The boss is like, get back to work. And she says, I can't, I can't do it. I can't work here. I have health issues. What happens? Unemployment then says, you quit your job. You're not entitled to unemployment anymore. Isn't that so crazy? And so here's absolutely so here's somebody, and I know you can't make policy by antidote. But this is somebody who did everything she was supposed to do all her life. And when the world is falling apart, this thinking that you're talking about, this Toomey, Ron Johnson thinking is, listen, get out and work. And this is by people who are working from home, whose kids are probably working from home, that are not being exposed, but don't understand the world that these folks are living in the folks for whom $2,000 would make a big difference. So I think when yeah. we start before in our little pre-production meeting for taxes, as such as it is, and we said, we're talking about, and I said to you, this is a good topic because it doesn't really affect us, but still well, we understand society and people well enough to say, give folks the $2,000. We'll figure out the deficit at some other point. Yeah. And, you know, there's another way if you've got to be a Republican, if it's like something born born into you, look at this a different way. And I think I can give some proof uh, for this. The idea of putting $2,000 in the hands of each of these people, as you correctly point out, you put a tax cut in the hands of very wealthy or even put $2,000 in your or my hands. We're not very wealthy, but we're certainly qualified within affluent, secure kind of people. That has very little effect. The trickle down has very little effect. But you want to know what has an effect? You want to call it the trickle up, the flow up? When you put it in the hands of people who will spend that money, you goose the economy. You, which this economy is going to need. And here's a way I think I can prove it to you. You know, a guy opposed to the $2,000 for a totally different reason was Larry Summers. Remember the ex-secretary of uh, Treasury? Right. He says, you're going to superheat the economy. It will be too much spending all at, all at once. Now, whether it will be that or, or not, I tend not to think so, because I think a lot of it will go into retiring debt, which just finally kind of gets into the the banking system, but I think he points us to the right thing, that our economy is a consumer-driven economy. Consumer-driven means people must be able to spend money. I get why somebody is morally outraged that someone might buy a television. God help them, 
that during the COVID pandemic, when they have to stay at home, they want to watch the television. I know that's morally objectionable, but the truth of the matter is that helps the economy too. So, you know, no matter what direction you come at this, I think it makes sense. And it apparently makes sense to the nitwit president of the United States, to the Democratic (laughs) Party, to Chuck Schumer, to most Americans who are polled, all of it makes sense to, to many Republicans, including David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. It only doesn't make sense to give $2,000 to Mitch McConnell. And our government is such that if Mitch doesn't want it, along with his few millionaire friends, bam, that's it. It doesn't happen. Yeah, so that's an interesting game they're playing, isn't it? Because I did watch Mitch yesterday. Um, Luckily, I was not eating at the time. I would have been throwing up. He is very um, Machiavellian, and that's being kind to describe him as that. Because you see that little smirk on his face when he gets up there and says, okay, we'll give you $2,000 if you agree to (laughs) to punish the tech companies, something that needs to be done, punish not the right word, but the law to be rewritten, but not at this speed. And we investigate the fraud that ended up in Biden's presidency. I mean, calling those poison pills is being kind to them, but he gets that little McConnell smirk on it when he knows that that, that the Democrats can't do that. Nobody can do that. After him stands up, did you watch any of this? It was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And then it was Bernie. Because I said to you, John, you have to get, you know, brush off your Bernie uh, impersonation. And Bernie stands up and says, you know, whatever their points of order and whatever. Yeah, we're going to we're going to vote on the two thousand dollars. You hear Mitch McConnell? No. <laughs> yes. Nope. But Bernie nope. has a whole other way to act with the system, which is to try to undo the over or not allow them to override the president's veto on the military defense act. You know, it's to me, I'm like, it's all a game. It's all it a is. game. And, and we are right and, back to people's needs. And and please remember, the best part about Bernie's game, there is nothing a senator hates like being in Washington, D.C. over the holidays. And Bernie has essentially said, hey, guys, we're celebrating New Year's Eve here. And if Bernie doesn't have the stamina himself right now in an automobile, I'm not exaggerating this, on the way to Washington, D.C., is Senator Sherrod Brown, who intends, he anticipates getting there about noon or so. So he may be almost there. And he is going to go on the floor and assist Bernie with the uh, filibuster to keep this thing going and keep the senators there so that they can't do the overrun. Now, I'm picturing Sherrod, you know, with doesn't Sherrod's voice remind you of Barry McGuire from The <laughs> Eve of Destruction? He does. The Eastern world, it is exploding. <laughs> that, I think Sherrod. he must I be a Sherrod. smoker. I, he must I think he must voice. be, or he yeah. must have been at, uh, at some point. So we got Sherrod doing that. And then he takes care, uh, turns with Bernie, who says, we are not going to support the billionaires and the millionaires. <laughs> and by this point, 
Mitch McConnell says, listen, give them the 2000 bucks. I don't want to hear these two guys anymore. They're making me crazy. <laughs> oh, that is funny. And then they have to be there for New Year's Eve. If that yeah, happens, and- John, and I know it's time for us to go, but I will enjoy my New Year's Eve more than I expected to. Uh, instead of Anderson Cooper, I'm going to be turning on, uh, what would it be, C-SPAN for coverage of, of that. Mary Jo, goodbye. We got to end. I have to go talk someplace. See you. Oh, bye. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.